Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. They say it takes a lot to keep a love alive In every heart that pumps a different beat But if we shift the rhythm into overdrive Hello everybody and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z well, 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 after last week's episode of Billy's last song ever, we have another final song on an album. This time it's the song 52nd Street, which is the ninth and final song off of the album of the same name. 52nd Street, which, as you know, begins with an F, not a five. Yeah, <laughs> was only released as a B-side to the classic song My Life. On October 28, 1978, 52nd Street, the song, ends the album that would go on to be Billy's fifth Grammy nomination for Album of the Year. And this album, 52nd Street, won the whole thing in 1980. So a ending song for a big, big album for Billy Joel, where Elon does Christopher Bananas rank the tepid song 52nd street on a on a gangbusters album out of 121 songs i don't think that this is a high ranking song even though it's a great album you know when we did um the final song from the stranger everybody has a dream we thought there's no way christopher bananos would put a song from the stranger any lower than like the top 50 because it's such a great album I think in this case, and I think you're with me on this, 52nd Street, the song, doesn't add too much to this album. doesn't feel like a very complete song. Uh, so I don't think it's going to have a very high ranking. I'm going to put this one around, uh, I think he'll put it around 102. No, he puts it at 79. <laughs> and uh, he says sax licks are a little cheesy, but it holds its place on the album barely, which uh, makes a lot of sense. And oddly, Glenn Gamboa, 78 from Newsday and the fans rank it at 78. So everybody has it at 78, 79. That's where they put it. I think you and I put it lower because uh, again, or, you know, we, we, we haven't brought it up before. There's a big controversy about this episode, as you know, <laughs> uh, because our show is called Billy Joel A to Z. And when we first started it, Elon and I recorded 52nd street first, because the number goes first and it was Christopher Bonanos because we weren't happy to start our podcast with 52nd Street because the song ain't great and we didn't do that great a job at recording it. And Christopher Bonanos was the one who told us, why don't you just put in the F's dummies? <laughs> and so here it comes. We listened to what he said and we are recording it a second time. But I, I, I think we both so we both kind of know how we feel about this song already. And we don't love it. Uh, I think, Elon, the second time around listening to it, preparing for the podcast again and certainly going like, oh, God, we have to do 52nd Street again. I liked it a little more. It wasn't a good starter song for me. And this time I liked it a little more, maybe a little more appreciating Billy Joel's work as we're listening to song after song uh, as far as 
an ending go? Listen to this, Elon. We've done this Billy Joel A to Z. We're only in the F's. And we've done the final songs off The Stranger, 52nd Street, River of Dreams, Stormfront, Piano Man, and in a couple of weeks, The Bridge. We almost covered (laughs) all of every ending song. That's incredible. It's weird. It's very weird. But this one doesn't cut it. Like you said, what we were talking about, everybody has a dream, which is uh, an unbelievable button to a perfect album, which is The Stranger. And this one doesn't cut it. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, and I agree with you also that on second listen now, months after we started and did our initial pilot episode with this song and both agreed that it didn't really feel like a starting song for this podcast. Um, But after listening to so many more Billy Joel songs through these months, doing these episodes, getting really in depth with everything, I did appreciate this song more on on second time around. I had no recollection of what Christopher Bonanos's ranking was, obviously, or I would have cheated and said it was 79. And you would have said, wow, how'd you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I thought he was with us in like around in the low 100 uh, range. I think this song does a good job of closing out the 52nd Street album. It's just that it doesn't feel like a complete song. I think that in the way how everybody has a dream goes into the stranger theme at the end of it. And that outros the album. This could have almost been done the same way where they could have just had this musical outro at the end of Until the Night. And and that could have done the same sort of thing to like fade out the album. But to have this be a two minute song at the end with some lyrics that are a little fumbly, you know, I get what he's going for. And I think it does a good job of wrapping up the album. But as a standalone song, it doesn't quite cut it. Which is exactly why we did. We're like, we can't open with this. Uh, as a podcast, which was why we went with a uh, matter of trust instead. We thought no one would listen if this song started. They would say, what the hell is this? This, this? this is the weirdest song, but a matter of trust, which some people think should have been in the M's. Uh, <laughs> 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 this sets the stage that they know that we're a little bit crazy with our alphabetization. Yes. And, you know, what's interesting, though, is at the beginning of the song, and I certainly didn't know, I mean, I had to look it up. The mumbled words at the beginning say what? And, and our hands are set, right? That's what he's saying at the very beginning of the song, which I didn't know until I just looked it up. And it acts as a count off of a one, two, three, four, which, as you know, a matter of trust opens with. Thank you very much. I'm here all yeah. week. <laughs> which didn't, I think maybe it was, was it Julian Villard who said that that was like the only song ever that has like a sung count off? Yeah, I think it was him. <laughs> I never thought about that. A one, a two, I think you might be right. Yeah, I I never in this song that that thing, like what you said, I I never heard it. I have to turn the the volume up so loud to even hear what he's saying at that moment in the song. You know what you're saying about this song also being a standalone and all the what you're the, the way it ends, too, is like weird. But it is it's a fascinating album and I never understood. But in doing research for this particular song. Now I realize that 52nd Street is a jazz album, which I never, ever thought of it when you, you know, again, this is Billy Joel doing a jazz album that's good for everyone, because I would never guess that my life is a a jazzy compilation of any kind. (laughs) So I I don't consider a jazz album, but just that's the same way we don't consider Glass Houses his punk rock album or whatever, you know, even though that's technically what it is, right? It's rock album. I know. It's like if you talk to like some jazz aficionado and they're like, what's your favorite jazz song? And you're like, my life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? But look at this guy. He's like, you know, 52nd Street is his jazz album. Glass Houses is his 
punk rock album and an innocent man is his fifties album. It is funny the way he does or what his thought is of what he's going to do it, but he seems to do it and do it right where everybody can enjoy it. I was never a big jazz person, but it's funny when it's supposed to be very much, uh, you know, his hero was Dave Brubeck, right. Uh, from that uh, take five or t- time out album. And that song, Take Five, where if you listen to that song, which is one of the most famous jazz songs of all time, which, of course, I didn't know it. And then when you hear it, you're like, oh, my God, how many times have I heard this song? Then you kind of get the ending of 52nd Street, which makes a lot of sense. And the way that it goes off is like a jazz tune, which always just kind of fades. The jazz songs never end. Yeah, they, they just noodle. It's a lot of noodling. And this yeah, is a, and that's a noodly this, song. That's exactly what this song does. It really goes nowhere. And then it just fizzles out at the end and it closes out this unbelievable Grammy winning album of the year. It's unbelievable. But I actually think that the way he set up this song makes sense for this album because 52nd street is named because this is where all these jazz clubs were. This was the hub of jazz in New York city in the forties, fifties and sixties. And when I hear this song, I picture someone walking down 52nd street and they start hearing this jazz tune. It's like some quartet is playing in some smoky club and then they're walking away and it just fades away. The music fades away. They get towards 53rd street. And so that's why it's like a little blip of a moment in time, just like when he's doing big man on Mulberry street, or any other song where you feel like, or, you know, Cete Toi or Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, these songs where it kind of takes you to a place. This song does do that to me. It does make me feel like I'm walking down a street with a lot of jazz clubs. Well, that's very interesting. You know, what I was thinking what you're saying when you're when the music is fading out, when you're walking around on, uh, on 52nd Street during Christmas time, when you're at Saks Fifth Avenue, they play that Christmas music so loud. And once you, you know, leave the avenue or something, it just starts to fade out. I never thought about something like that. Plus, I didn't know. I knew 52nd Street is where he recorded this album on 52nd Street when all these clubs were long gone. But I didn't realize 52nd Street was a big jazz. I didn't understand. I just found that out recently. I didn't know it was a full of jazz clubs, even though it's called Swing Street. And I always didn't understand it doesn't make any sense i've walked down 52nd street since i've got here you know as a kid and i've never i they were gone by the time i got here so they're just office buildings so i couldn't even picture it whereas if somebody mentioned the old Times square i remember that and that horribleness <laughs> well we know it used to used to, to mop up the floors after every <laughs> shift got that right so but yeah that's the, I, that is you're right it is a great it makes a lot of sense after you think about that there were all these great jazz clubs on 52nd Street and then it ends up, let alone that, again, Billy Joel's superheroes, the Beatles, came up with Abbey Road. And this is him again saying, I want to do an Abbey Road. Right, <laughs> because because they recorded Abbey Road at Abbey Road Studios, so they named it Abbey Road. And he, that's why he and he literally says that that's why he named this 52nd Street. He worships those guys where the stranger is Sergeant Pepper. And I guess 52nd Street is Abbey Road. I can't come up with anything original. He's awful. What a hack. Why we're doing a podcast about this guy. Yeah, all he does is steal other uh, forms of music. Look at this guy. 
Well, you know what? This is our first episode. We might as well just stop the podcast now. We haven't invested too much time into this. I'll tell you, for years, I wouldn't kiss. I'm sorry. (laughs) Drink, everybody. (laughs) Um, Also, he... uh, he, I've heard him talking about that. He calls this out, or does he calls this song a cakewalk. Yeah. What does that mean? I looked it up. Uh, I, I found out recently that cakewalk is actually like a considered a racist term now. It was like some dance that was done for like with like black people in the 19th century. Aside from that, cakewalk was like at the turn of the 20th century, a style of song that went along with this particular dance. And it had a very syncopated umpa kind of rhythm. And I think that's what he's saying is that this song has that kind of rhythm to it because it's different than a cake boy which is in the movie clueless <laughs> that's what people called you in high school how did you know that <laughs> hey it's cake boy jusky oh you don't even know what cake boy is do you no i don't oh well that's even more embarrassing that you just said that about me <laughs> it means that it's a homosexual <laughs> oh that's what i assumed it meant no that's oh. what i assumed oh yeah. you did okay yeah because yeah, uh murray in uh, clueless goes your man christian is a cake boy and they're like what He's a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. You know what I'm saying? He's a cake boy. He's gay. I do remember that monologue. I don't remember the phrase cake boy. I believe the great Amy Heckerling and her awesome writing in the movie Clueless. But yes, when he kept saying cakewalk, I didn't understand. But I guess it must be some sort of easy walk or dance to do, right? Because that's what it's a cakewalk. You say piece of cake, all those kind of terms, I guess come from just being this will be a snap it's a piece yeah. of cake cakewalk and that's exactly it. to do i guess yeah yeah easy i mean not for me or you i'm sure we would ruin it but uh for most people who are decent at dancing apparently it was very easy and well, I, uh, i'd heard it was about slave owners making fun of white dancing their owners you know dancing which makes perfect sense to me <laughs> there's they were making fun of white people dancing even back then <laughs> oh well that makes it like it's like that's one of those things where like they're doing it and it's okay because they're making fun of those guys but then all these white people were like hey we love that dance you guys are doing and then they just took it <laughs> yeah. and then everyone was like what that's our dance what are you doing <laughs> we're making fun of you yeah right right it's right out of a simpsons episode again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we're making fun of you oh i love that new dance the kids are doing these days <laughs> yeah it's i'm trying to think there's definitely been movies where somebody's like in pain or something and they're on the dance floor doing the dance like they're healing over in pain and they're like oh that's great well there's a famous <laughs> episode of saved by the bell where lisa breaks her ankle and it's time for the dance and she's so sad that she can't dance but then um screech starts doing like th- this like hopping move because she can only hop around and everyone's like oh everyone do the lisa and they're all hopping and, and then she feels like oh okay this is nice that is exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. They also, I think, have an episode where there's someone in a wheelchair and then they all dance in wheelchairs, which probably was offensive. <laughs> They're like, look, we're all disabled now. So in this song, Billy Joel does some kind of screech noises a few times. He, he gives some cool little wails. And I noticed that one of them sounds exactly like David Lee Roth in Running with the Devil. Really? Really. Now, if you look at if you listen to the 58 second mark of 52nd Street and compare that to David Lee Roth at the one minute, 41 second mark of running with the devil, it's identical. (laughs) And this album was recorded from July to August 1978. Van Halen one was released in February 78. And Running with the Devil was released as a single in April 78. So Billy definitely would have heard this song and 
something in the back of his head might have said, I like the way this guy screams. How do you like that? The way Cancel said, Billy Joel. The way you said identical. That's like right on my cousin Vinny. That guy. <laughs> identical. <laughs> right. He's doing the hand movements. You guys can't see that, though. But it's hilarious. Identical. Elon? Yes. The ultimate question. Does he ever play this live? Ever? Like even during the 52nd Street tour, if there was one? Yeah, he did. He played this song five times, five times live, twice in 78, once in 79, once in 1980 at Toad's Place, which was that concert that was recorded for songs in the attic. And then he played it again in 1987. And there's actually audio of him playing it at Toad's Place on YouTube. He didn't play it completely. He played it in a medley of like five other songs. He did little snippets. And so when you listen to it, he plays this song for about 24 seconds. And then he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. What else don't we do? And then he goes into this medley of other songs that they never play. Ooh, that's interesting. I never so he play, like- then he goes into the Mexican Connection and then uh, Roberta and then Sete Toi. So it's kind of cool. But he does, he does like 10 seconds of each of these songs. Ooh, that's cool. And as far as I know, that's the only existing live recording of him playing 52nd Street. I think Street Life Serenade is another album we haven't gotten to one song yet. Yeah, you're right. That's weird. Yeah. And I don't really know that one either. So ha! I love it. I was going to say, wait, don't we have the entertainer? But that's in the tease. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you son of a. <laughs> <laughs> I fooled myself. <laughs> Oh, one other, one other thing. Did you notice? Uh, I can't believe you haven't brought this up yet. That in the middle of this song, around a minute 15, he plays the Maud Blossom piano riff again. Shut up. Yeah, he does it. It's in there. How did I not recognize that? 52nd Street. It's slightly disguised, but it's definitely the same thing. All right. Well, that is, I will play that immediately. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yes, I've got an interesting one for you. In 1979, what is missing from these five album names? Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, Even Now by Barry Manilow, the Grease original soundtrack, Running on Empty Jackson Brown, and Some Girls, the Rolling Stones. All classics, although you could give or take the Barry Manilow one. What's one of these things is missing? What what is it, Elon? What's missing from the album names? You said from the names themselves? From those names. The letter Q is in none of those names. <laughs> those albums were all nominated for album of the year in 1979. But 52nd Street was not. No, the stranger's missing. No, oh, the stranger wasn't nominated. No, it was not. Because Isn't that Saturday Night Fever and Barry Manilow were more important. Which is why I think they gave it to him for 52nd Street. I think like, uh-oh, we didn't expect this was, you know, I think The Stranger took everybody by surprise. So much so, they didn't even have time to nominate it because like, well, who the hell is Billy Joel? And then that's why I think 52nd Street won album of the year. It's obviously not better than The Stranger. It's a great follow-up album, but I think that's why... He won. It's yeah, like, so it was a makeup call. Yeah, and that happens a lot with the Oscars. I know like Cher probably, you know, should have won for Mass, but she ends up winning for Moonstruck or maybe or oh no, I got a, the best example is 
Jeremy Irons. He should have won for, oh, what was that? What he won for a reversal of fortune, but he should have won for dead ringers. But they're not going to, you know, something when you have two performance, two good performances in a row, they usually will nominate you for one that, you know, you shouldn't get, but they want to like make up for it. I think that's what 52nd Street is. Yeah, or like Leo DiCaprio finally getting his for the Revenant. The Revenant, exactly. After so Excellent. many great performances, but always coming up short. Al Pacino scent of a woman. That kind of stuff happens. But this is the one-two punch, and then of course Glass Houses gets nominated. The Nylon Curtain gets that because then they they were like making up for the Stranger not even being nominated. You got to be kidding. I mean, the Saturday Night Fever winning works. You can't take away from that, and all those albums are amazing. But I think you could have, and I like Barry Manilow, but I think you could have put in The Stranger instead of Even Now by Barry Manilow, which wasn't his strongest album. Well, I don't wait. Hold on. Let me see if Copacabana's on that one. Oh, I take it back. Copacabana was on that album. So, Oh, yeah. Give that the Grammy. That's, that's a great song. Well, it's... Whether it's great or not, it certainly was a huge success. I'm a big fan. Love that song. Me too. <laughs> Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. Uh, do you have a trivia question for me, Elon Altman? Yes, I do. Here's my trivia question for you. Billy Joel, as we mentioned earlier, has named jazz pianist Dave Brubeck as a major influence. He even had the album Time Out hanging on his wall as a kid. My question is, what song from Dave Brubeck's Time Out album was not actually composed by Dave Brubeck? Was it the Take Five song? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I got it right because I got confused between Time Out and Take Five and I wasn't sure what the name of the album was. And then I remember, I don't know, I remember hearing that Take Five for some reason wasn't, who was it written by? It was written by his saxophonist, Paul Desmond. Oh, it's the only song on the album that wasn't written by Dave. And that's um, the most famous one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's the most famous jazz song of all time, I think. Of all time. Yeah. But everyone, I always thought, OK, this is definitely Dave Brubeck's song because it's his, you know, quartet or whatever. I mean, that, right. Or they, he had a picture of uh, Dave Brubeck on as well. I had a picture of Adrian Barbeau from Maud. Now, you see where this is leading, Elon? I'm obsessed with Maud. And I had a picture of Blossom on my wall. No, you didn't. <laughs> No, I really did have a picture of Adrian. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> I, we, we believe everything you say. It all makes sense. You know what's been confusing me lately? Besides this, that Dave Brubeck didn't compose time, uh, Take Five. I just found out, and you probably are going to think I'm an idiot, that uh, Audrey Hepburn. Stop right there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> did you know that Audrey Hepburn and Catherine Hepburn aren't sisters? Uh, yes, I'm, I did know that. Absolutely. And they're not even related. No. One of them's like from England. I would say who wouldn't know that, but there's plenty of stuff I didn't know either for a long time. But yeah, I did know that, that they were not related in any way. I, I'm just learning this and it blew my mind completely. <laughs> well, Dave, it's time for the Weird Alon parody for today's song. And, you know, when we did this uh, initial pilot episode of 52nd Street, we weren't doing parodies at the time. So this we never existed before. This is a brand new parody. And I have no idea how you're going to parody this song. I mean, I, I, I can't even picture the song in my head. Well, you know what's great is that this song has so few lyrics. I'm going to actually sing the entire song. Hey, great. And then I'm going to do a clarinet solo. I wish that was the case. <laughs> okay, so my parody of 52nd Street 
is called 50 Dead Goldfish. Oh, I guess I was hoping it was just going to be like 53rd Street or something. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, I'm sure you got a plan. I got a plan for this one. They say it takes a lot to keep goldfish alive. Make sure they don't get too much to eat. But the baggie got too hot on the car drive. So I threw the fish onto the street. That's 50 dead goldfish. Uh Uh-huh. That's 50 dead goldfish. We're going to have a fishy funeral before I go back to the carnival and win another one. If I wish my 51st goldfish. Hey, now, I don't know what that was all about. I, I don't you know when I make fun of you, everybody gets upset with me. So I'm trying to keep it in check. But uh, I want to say that was the worst parody you've ever done. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't get it. Nothing rhymed. I don't know. I'm sorry. It, it rhymes completely with the song's rhyme scheme. But you do know what I love when you do that. <laughs> so I, I did enjoy that part. <laughs> That'll always make me laugh. But the people have spoken and they love your parodies, Elon. So that's the important thing. I think you're wrong about this one. This is a good one. Everyone has gotten a baggie with a goldfish in it and it has died. Yeah. Who cannot okay. relate? Oh, no, I didn't say anybody couldn't relate. I just, uh, <laughs> it's just a bad song. Well, it's like, I just, I can't even picture the melody in my head. So that was a problem from the beginning. I'm like, wait, is he singing the song? Is that the melody? I, I can't remember. I can't think of 52nd street. I don't, I can't put it in my head. I can't, it's not like sing us a song. You're the piano man. <laughs> you know, it's not, it, they it, say it, it takes a lot to keep goldfish alive. <laughs> Make sure they don't get too much to eat. See, there you go. <laughs> Use that again for piano. Man. But yeah, you, I don't go around humming 52nd street after I heard it a couple times today. Yeah, you've heard it twice. Once before our pilot episode and once before this episode. Well, hopefully this is a much better episode than that crappy pilot we put together. And thank God for crazy Christopher Bananos for suggesting it go into the Fs. But if any of one of you wants to uh, pay us, let's say uh, $1,000, we will let you listen to it for free. <laughs> yeah, don't pay that money. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Joel A to Z rarity. The <laughs> hidden first episode. <laughs> Well, folks, that was 52nd Street. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Next episode is our interview with Alex Sulkin, the executive producer of Family Guy and the writer of Ted and Ted 2. Alec is a huge Billy Joel fan, as he has proven time and again on Family Guy. And he's already angry with us that he had to wait until the Fs to come on because he is itching to talk about Billy Joel. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Have you ever danced the cakewalk? Are you excited that we're going to cross another final song off our list when Getting Closer comes up? Do you think the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack deserved to win Album of the Year over the snubs The Stranger? Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z.